I wrote that after I'd done a ayahuasca ceremony. So I really had that, you know, I was a different person <laughs> once I came out of that experience. Like I really, it was like a complete exorcism of my former self and came out with a, you know, I felt I came out with like this rewired nervous system and a fresh perspective. So that track kind of held held it together for me. It was like, yeah, this is this is what the album, this sums up the album. Yes, this is Kid Acne on the Fly Fidelity podcast, chatting about hauntology codes, my new album out now. First, First I say, say what we're going to do. Then you say, say, I don't know, what do you want to do? What we're going to do, what you want to do? You're going to dig this. The Fly Fidelity podcast is the solution. It's the best. Check it out. You want to get super fly, fly. Details just ahead. Do you love credible content, but, but, but hate how long you have to wait? And who wants super thick and frothy dumpster juice with rat corpses in it? There's a better way. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly Fidelity. Fly. Fly. Fly Fidelity. Fidelity. Fly Fidelity Podcast. Fly Fidelity, baby. Fidelity, baby. Fidelity. With your host, Luke Bailey. Welcome to the program. Artist, illustrator, printmaker, MC. This week we're joined for a candid conversation with Kid Acne to talk about his latest project produced by Spectacular Diagnostics, Hauntology Codes. We'll also be discussing his formative years painting graffiti to making fanzines, to releasing DIY punk and hip-hop, to working with Lex Records. All of this and so much more on this week's show. Has everybody been given the mantra that we're going to use today? Good. Okay, that's great. And it goes. Whole life need an overhaul. Juice paid, now I'm overdrawn. Whole life need an overhaul. I'm curious as to when did these songs begin to take shape? What kind of timeline did you record these songs? Well, so me and Rob, that's Spectacular Diagnostics, he's based in Chicago. We started recording together in 2017 and that started really off the back of him asking me for some artwork that he wanted to use as part of a collage on one of his own record sleeves. So he remembered me from the early 2000s because I used to do artwork for a label called Chocolate Industries out in Chicago and he was part of that label back then. And he was just reaching out to different people for like hand styles and like bit of imagery. And he was putting together his own composition. And then as sort of as a sort of as an afterthought, he's like, oh, yeah, maybe we should collaborate on some music. And I was like, yeah, yeah, cool. But I'm doing this other project at the minute. Well, and he just kept sending me so many beats that I I'd never did the other project in the end. I was like, I'm going to put all these lyrics on Rob's production. So. That led to Have a Word, which came out in 2019. But because I'd not made a solo album for so long, I was like, I don't want to just make 10 or 12 tracks and the first things I finish are going to go on this album. Right. So what that meant was that by the time Have a Word came out, which really could have come out a year earlier, but I was like, let's just keep going and record more stuff. We had, you know, probably triple the amount of tracks we needed in some shape or form. 
and some of that material has informed the last album uh have you know null and void and this album as well so um nothing's come out in chronological order but some things came into fruition sooner than others so i i sort of see it as it's not a trilogy as such but it's like season two of kid acne's solo career and yeah um many of those songs are interchangeable i'd say as much as i, I want to make a solid album from start to finish each time i'm aware that people make their own playlists and pick and choose their you know their favorite tracks so i'm okay with that too so to answer your question the timeline from some of the the earliest material that made its way onto this album for example jews paid i found an early demo of that from 2017 that i've it's pretty much the same lyrics, completely different beat, different tempo, and it just lay dormant. So at some point I would have then resurrected that idea, flipped the beat and redone the lyrics. So that's probably like the, the kind of the oldest material. And then the newest stuff was <clears throat> literally being finished the week before mastering earlier this summer. Got it. Now, in terms of concept, can you talk about your intentions with riffing on this philosophy of hauntology, which is on the album? What was your process in digging into the thematic core of hauntology codes? Sure. Well, with the hauntology thing, you know, in terms just the concept of it being, you know, the present being haunted by the past of anticipated futures that never come to be. I just kind of thought that sums up my career as an MC. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> On another timeline, another trajectory, things may have played out very differently. And I started making music as a teenager in a very DIY approach. I got offered this deal with Lex in the early days of Lex and kind of fumbled that, which then ended up me getting on this joint venture with EMI, got upstream to EMI. I second-guessed everything. I kind of made music but wasn't really all that authentic to me and and then by the end of that process I was like I'm just gonna I need to give this a break for a while and focus back on my artwork which was almost 10 years um so without being too much like a midlife crisis or full of regrets it's that that kind of the idea that now I've got this partnership with Rob we're making the music that really I would have loved to have made 20 years ago uh, in the early doors of Lex on this kind of production. But it's it's also an alternate, you know, as much as I love the 90s uh, golden era of boom bap or whatever, it's like I know through doing graffiti that it doesn't serve me to try and emulate what others do. So I always wanted to carve out my own lane. I just didn't necessarily put in that 10,000 hours to hone my skill on it so from a personal perspective i was like yeah well this hauntology is kind of i know other people have used that as a kind of way of describing their music or the genres of music but i was like this really does apply to um utilizing 90s hip-hop for you know a greater or lesser extent and but putting our own spin on it and my own like pop culture references and things like that and this is how it looks in this alternate uh version of myself you know
listener, first time caller We're going all in and over Didn't do it for the wonga, we done it for the culture Foraging for quids down the back of the sofa Grew up fast and precocious, the tip of the totem We all lost focus, of the sole purpose I stay learned and put work into swerving that free ring circus Now what's been occurring? Not much, just a drop in the ocean The mermaids are gorgeous, the complex courtship Reside on the shores in a well-born I like the term. I knew I wanted it in the title of the album somewhere. There's, uh, I think there's just one line on the album that sort of like leans towards it. Um, Hauntologist on the Mary Celeste on um, the Eat Right track. And I was just, yeah, I quite like that line. I want to use that as a, a title. So really it was just, it's, it's poetic license with it. I'm not, you know, getting too deep into it as such, but I just thought it was a good analogy, certainly good analogy for making 90s hip hop as a, as a couple of middle-aged guys in <laughs> this era. Um, but yeah, from my own personal experience of kind of having these early stabs at making music, I thought it was relevant to me as well, you know, so that and on the same track, I say I, I went through some shit while I wrote this. Not that anybody noticed, um, but it, it made sense to me. You know what I mean? Do you remember a specific moment making this project where you thought this is, you know, this is starting to come together. We've cracked the code, no pun intended. Was there a specific song that I guess crystallized the thematic core of Hauntology Codes? I think that track, Eat Right, um, because there's this like dialogue sample at the beginning that talks about astral projection and find another style example at the end that kind of riffed on the same thing i threw in this uh freestyle fellowship if you don't fit don't force it just relax and let it flow and and the beat and the delivery and also i wrote that after i'd done a ayahuasca ceremony so i really oh, had wow. that you know i was a different person <laughs> once i came out of that experience like i really it was like a complete exorcism of my for myself and came out with a, you know, I felt I came out with like this rewired nervous system and a fresh perspective. So that track kind of held, held it together for me. It was like, yeah, this is, this is what the album, this sums up the album, but production wise, there's a couple of others. There's the Aranu Uvavu that's similar and, you know, the free form drumming and then also the opening track, quantum flips that I, I wanted that to be the opening statement as well. And again, with the, the dialogue sample that I chose and that choice of my first verse, it's like, um, those three songs for me sum the album up in terms of what my sentiment, what I wanted my sentiment to be. I also knew I wanted only 10 songs because we talked about that from when we first started working together. It's like, it's got to be 10 tracks. And the first one was 14. The next one was 12. So it's like this time around, it's going to be 20, 12, uh, 10 tracks. And uh, everything is like curating an exhibition. You know, they've all got to have their own individual role. And if it starts getting repetitive, then those songs need to not go on the album. So it's that whole kill your darlings process. I was pretty, I was more ruthless this time around. Um, and which kind of ties into the code side of it as well, right? Yeah. I listened to that Making Illmatic podcast. I don't know if you listened to that. 
and they yeah. they kind of pick bloated classic rap albums and chop them down to 10 tracks to see if they can make them as good as Illmatic. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to try and make anything, you know, put myself in that uh, world, but like, let's see if 10 songs really is better than 12 or 14. And I think if you get the energy right, then yeah, it can be. And so then the other material on the album, I had those three as the kind of anchor point. It was like, right, I need up tempo, I need down tempo, I need, you know, a few guest tracks, and that sort of really helped pull it together. Going back to this trip you were talking about a couple of minutes ago, this ceremony, I believe you called it. Yeah. How does that rewire you, not just as a man, but as an artist going into this project? Well, it's a long time coming, and it's something I've been interested in for a few years. I'd done regular talk therapy. Um, I, I was having a lot of, I was struggling with a lot of things like grief uh, when I lot, after losing my dad, even though that was years ago. I had PTSD at the time from a difficult breakup. It was throughout the whole pandemic. Loads of things changed in my life. And I just, I felt like I can't, I've tried all these other tools. I need to expand that toolkit. So, uh, yeah, I, I went and did that, and it was, I mean, it was wild. It was so, so, I don't know, it's really hard to describe it, but it was, right. uh, yeah, it, it felt really very much like an exorcism. <laughs> <by the end. laughs> an exorcism slash hip, not, you know, hypnotherapy or, I don't know, um, but it really helped me untangle a lot of, emotions I had to do with my dad and and separate myself so um slightly going off topic but like my dad struggled with alcohol addiction and um you know anyone who's had a an alcohol or um alcoholic parent or a uh an a a drug addicted parent who self medicates will know that's you know it's a really challenging thing to grow up with and so there was a lot of mixed when he when he died which is nearly 10 years ago now it's just so hard to fully let go so i really all this had, had been a huge burden on me throughout my childhood but particularly in adult life when i was trying to make sense of it all and and i felt i wasn't really able to be living my life fully as me until I'd really made peace with everything to do with my dad. And so that was something that I didn't realize that's what I was going to be dealing with going into the ceremony, but it, you know, your subconscious <laughs> mind is pre presented to you and you kind of just have to face, you know, deal with it head on and face it. So that was one thing. Um, and another thing was I, there was this kind of pretty traumatic experience on acid. When I was 13, I went to an illegal rave and took acid and ended up in hospital. And it was just like a horrific night, but wow. just like the shame of carrying that around because there's not much empathy you get from your kind of peer group at the time. It's more like, oh yeah, you, you fucked up. You didn't handle that right or whatever, you know? So 30 years later, took more psychedelics. <laughs> to re-simulate that, but was able to navigate it as an adult in a safe set and setting. And so, yeah, that, that really kind of helped me then focus on 
the things I wanted to do because I came out the other side with huge weight lifted, all these uh, issues. And then I just set myself the deadline that I wanted it out by the end of the year. So, you know, Easter, summer was early summer was the deadline to get masters handed in and start doing the artwork. So, yeah. So what are some of the rules that you'd like to keep in mind as you created an album or you created a concept project from scratch? Do you ever feel haunted by the past or anxious about the future when you're working on a project? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's my whole disposition. Um, yeah, I try I try and be in the present as much as possible, but yeah, it's not my forte. I definitely dwell on the past a lot and I definitely worry about the future a lot. So um, what that results in is crippling uh, anxiety and procrastination in these sort of creative projects, but I'm determined to get through it and come out the other side. So um, I think the the goals or the parameters is really just to kind of keep nudging it forward and try not to go around in circles too much. You're a space cadet, no lie And your third eye got pink eye Oh my, see you won't think you're Jedi on the census What are you demented? You must be out of your senses Mind tricks from another dimension Discordians dismantling your doctrine Stay blessed in my carbon form No borders in altered states We move forward, awkward Now I'm coming straight from the sewer Triceraton, Walt Fraser Sway Puma, smooth I'm Christophilic with manure Your Biff Tanner's carting Back to the future, booyah Lost out in Bermuda The beautiful loser Steam the Barracuda, Crash Bandicoot Hear me screaming Babushka Yeah, yeah, bring it back to the essence I'm everlasting your evanescence Let's talk about some of these tracks on this project Tell me about collaborating with King Kashmir For Discordian Duplex All of, you know, he has a very coded way of seeing through His own perspective, his own yeah. lens I mean, I really kind of set myself up with the guests because they're all like top tier MCs and got very strong, um, very strong, unique styles, unique visions, unique delivery. Um, but I'd worked with Kashmir on various other projects in the last kind of 10 years. So we've, we've kind of built a friendship up and this felt once I had the beat and I had my lyrics, I was like, yeah, this is this is a King Kashmir track. And obviously when he sent his thing back, it was just like, yeah, that's perfect. You know, he just riffed off what I was doing and then just went out on his own <laughs> and uh, like obliterated me. But I'm, I'm happy to host that kind of caliber of MC on my own project. You know, there's, there's no point putting someone on there you think you're going to be better then why, why would you want them on your album you know so um the capo one was slightly different because we went back and forth a little bit um and same with sunny jim but we cashmere because we worked together on a number of um tracks before you know sometimes he's led sometimes i've led and this time i was like i felt you know i'm 
I can't change what I've done anymore. I, I felt like I've got I've got my half of the track together, and then I've just got to hand it over to him. But yeah, man, he's he's incredible. Incredible, incredible. What about the track with Sonny Jim? How does that come together? Same. So me and Sonny like linked in the MySpace era, um, and he was living in Sheffield at the time. But I I was like it was like the tail end of me doing music that time around so i was more focused on art and i was like yeah yeah we'll do something and i just never did and then during lockdown i feel like a lot of people would kind of unless you're twiddling your thumbs but you're thinking oh maybe i could do that. you know all these things that have never quite seen the light of day i just laid by the wayside so, oh yeah maybe i should do this stuff with sunny jim i'll see if he's still into it you know like 15 <laughs> years later or whatever it is <laughs> Like, you still want to collaborate? It was like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And we recorded a few things. There was one track we did, and I, I felt it didn't quite fit the album, but I loved it. So I gave it to Rob, and he put it on his album, which came out a few months earlier. Um, and then that formula worked so well, I just kind of repeated it for this. So like the 12 bars each, going back and forth and just kind of riffing off each other. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like... Again, he's a unique voice and unique style, but it's it's kind of good for me to see what I sound like against Sonny Jim or with Sonny Jim on a track, you know, because I might approach it slightly different to if I'm rhyming with Kashmir, but at the same time, I'm not trying to, again, I'm not trying to emulate either of them or do it in their way. I'm just like, I know how they're going to approach it. So this type of... Uh, sensibility will probably be more suitable to a Sunny Jim collaboration than a Kashmir collaboration. So it's about picking the right beat and picking the right kind of um, references in the lyrics that I feel that we can find some common ground with. Yo, he keeps a burner in the third drawer. Casey needs protection in the first war. Other than that, you might find him chilling, fishing, waiting for the right type of mission. Like Colonel Jack O'Neill with zeal, perfecting his infernal rapper skill. He stashed the magic sword in the star, in the scars, and the alchemical dwarf in the jar. Kryptonite spear, bludgeoning Zod. Then I merged with the planet, summoning God. Didn't understand how to use it properly. Then the demiurge exploded out my human body. Real power. Real power. But was it worth all this? Giant teeth and eyeballs floating in Earth's orbit. You're just another termite. I have seen shit that will turn you white, 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 white. What is it that makes working with spectacular diagnostics so special each and every time you collaborate? What is he pulling from you? Well, he's tolerant. <laughs> he's patient. He's uh, he's aspirational. He's passionate. Um, you know that they're qualities you don't necessarily find in other collaborators when you're in a band or working with producers and that. You know, sometimes people yeah. are just you kind of butt heads. You you want to do the thing, and maybe people are just as um, talented. But if the other party isn't driven, especially when there's only two of you, it's like no one wants to do the heavy lifting. It should be a 50-50 split. And I feel with Rob, he's, yeah, because he's got his own stuff going on as well, 
he's never putting too much pressure on me that I have to do this thing in a certain way or a certain um, time scale. So that gives that allows me to kind of find it at my own pace. Um, and yeah, he's just he's just a really he's an easy guy to work with, but also his production again, like those MCs um, I've mentioned, is he's got his own unique way of doing it. And that's rare as well, because there's a lot of people making good music, but it sounds like a lot of other music, you know. Okay, the MCs are different, but the production kind of is quite similar, I feel. And when you find someone who's got their own take on it, but they're aware of the elements of, you know, beat making and production, and he's been through all those different eras, and to still find your own lane in that, I think is is a blessing. So it's done me a lot of good having a you know such a sturdy backdrop to stand on. You know when I'm I'm rapping because some of the stuff I did in the past, I feel I don't know. I lent into other parts of my personality that. In hindsight, I wish I'd maybe just not picked those beats in the first place because I was I was adapting to certain types of production and then that kind of made me do kind of more self-deprecating, silly stuff because that's what I felt worked right on those beats. And with Rob, it's like there's a seriousness to it, but it's also can go wild and, and avant-garde in places as well. And I, I like that. Yeah. When he gives you the opportunity to, as an artist, not just go through this creative sequence we're talking about, but you're growing through this creative sequence we're talking about together, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because his own projects, he's, you know, he does instrumental albums and he also does these producer-led albums where he's he's got a different MC on every track. So the fact that he and I have been working on these projects and I'm the I'm the main MC on it. That's that's kind of unique for him as well. I think he's only done that with a couple of other people now. Yeah. Um, so I take that as a good sign that we've got a good working relationship. Absolutely. Do you have a favorite song for this new album? It changes, you know. I think probably Iranu Uvavu. I like that one. Yeah, I think the the lyrics and I mean we talked about eat right already, but um yeah that that one too, Ranu Bavu. Let me just have a look. But then, yeah, say so either of them two, but. I also like 95 Wild, which is the penultimate track, just because it's kind of off key. But I really enjoyed making it. Yeah, I really enjoyed that one. It was like, oh, this is this is interesting. What are we going to do with this? And I was happy with the outcome of that as well. But Tell me about making that track specifically. It just uh, it kind of caught me off guard, I suppose, with the beat. And I'd, I lent into it and embraced it. And I just, yeah, it, it's nice to, there's, there's certain beats that come through and you think, yeah, I know what I'm going to do with that. And then others, 
It's like, I know it's good. I'm not quite sure <laughs> what I'm going to do. But if I if I pass on it, someone else is probably going to get that beat at some point. And if I hear that, <laughs> I'm like, fuck, what? you know, because that's happened in the past as well. I'm like, no, I'm not sure what to do with that one. Someone else is on it. And then I'll hear it a year or so. Like, oh, shit, that was that track. Yeah. Can you give me an example of that happening? Yeah. On the Raw Lessons album, there was a couple of beats that I passed on. And um, someone else jumped on them instead. I mean, they they did a better job of it. Because I think you're not doing anyone, you're doing a disservice, aren't you? Just picking a beat because you don't want someone else to have it. That's just being selfish. (laughs) If I don't, if it's not hitting me, I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure what to do. But like 95 Wild, I knew it was for me. It's the right kind of tempo. And just like the space to make a kind of hawk and then the breakdown at the end with the kind of the chant and everything. Um, yeah, it's a lot of fun to do. Uh, but there's not a track on the album I don't like, to be honest. Uh, Quicksand is another one I really like just because it's it's a bit of an anomaly on the album, but I knew I, I wanted it as a kind of counterpoint to the up-tempo stuff on the A-side. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I've, Favourite-wise, I flip between Iranu, Uvavu and Eat Right, I think. But 95 Wild, I really enjoyed making it. Nice. What's the story behind Dues Paid? <laughs> Dues Paid, now I'm overdrawn. Um, yeah, just like kind of... You put in... You, you just put in all this effort, don't you, to make hip-hop or in graph as well but it's like it's a thankless task in many ways if you're doing it to get recognized from your peers or even to get any sort of like um to get your flowers you know what i mean and Mm. that's the wrong motivation i feel like you just gotta you gotta be doing it for yourself but i think there's a part of you that is maybe gets quite cynical and resentful over the years you think fuck man i've been doing this a long time i'm not getting anything out of it so it was it was like very tongue-in-cheek obviously because that's not really i'm not like demanding respect off people but it was just right. more an acknowledgement of yeah i've been doing this a long time and you know if you did look at that 10 hour 10,000 hour kind of um approach to mastering your craft you know, and in doing that, earning way below minimum wage, <laughs> it's like that. Now I'm overdrawn. You know, fucking it's frustrating, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you feel that the trajectory is changing though with this album? Because I do. Yeah, you know what? It's the first album where my peers have actually got in touch and said, "This is good." <laughs> I feel like this is the one. I think it might be. I think I finally made a good album. But also going back to that ayahuasca ceremony, I went through a lot of, as you might imagine, went through a lot of fucking thoughts that that weekend. And one thing I did realize was how much I'd maybe been comparing myself to other people. That like compare and despair, you know, paralysis by analysis, or however you want to put it. And it's just really crippling. You have to do, just stick to your guns and do your own thing. And what I realized was, okay, so there was this um, time 20 years ago when Tom wanted to sign me to Lex and I was sort of hesitant and we went down this path. But 20 years later, Tom's still there and he's still 
supportive. It was that simple. I just needed to make the right album for him. And he's like, yeah, let's, let's do it. it was, this process was so easy because I'm working with a producer who wants to do it. I'm working with a label who want to do it. And there was no pressure. And I think in the past, maybe there was no pressure either, but I didn't understand that in my younger self. I put way too much pressure on myself trying to make music and art and everything to the point that I I just burn myself out and I'll be ill, you know, periodically. And this time around, it was just like, yeah, this just do the thing you wanted to do all that time. So that goes back to the hauntology kind of concept is like, all right, maybe it's 20 years late, but that's nothing. You know, it's not, we're not athletes. You know what I mean? Like that's fine to come late to the table because in that 20 years I've, I've got life experience and I've got uh, wisdom and I've got all the things that I didn't have to put in my lyrics 20 years ago. You know what I mean? And I've learned to rap in a way that I'm fine with, you know, I'm not trying to be anyone else. And even like with the guests I talked about, Sonny Jim, Kashmir Capo, they're, they're people that I chose them for a reason because mm. I didn't want to just, you know, you can get, you can get a guest verse off pretty much anyone you want. If you pay the right money, I was like, I want these to be people I consider friends and people that I consider um, peers that are active right now, you know, and th those three people I can, we, we chat on the phone and we can, um, talk shop about this, that, and the other, and uh, Capo, we're hanging out a bit. Uh, we go running together in the peaks and everything. And it's like, well, these are the guests I want on this album because it needs to be authentic to me. And they've got their different styles, but that's what's going to kind of hang it all in. So, um, yeah, it might be the one. And I'm still going to make more, but who knows? Maybe you'll come back and go, yeah, you nailed it on that one. And, and that's okay. Um, what I didn't want to do was let the music I made in the past be the last thing that I ever made because like I said I took a break for almost 10 years and that was really kind of like niggling at me of like shit you weren't really happy with that material um, and once all these like MCs started dying in the last um, 10 years or so I was like you know that that could be the last record you ever made that would be really depressing <laughs> so it was nice to get back into making music again and through the mongrels project and then through these three albums with rob i've kind of found my my foot in again i found my voice so maybe that is what then resonates with people because like i say it's not often that my kind of peers and contemporaries get in touch and say yeah i like this one but that's what that's what's happened this time around so um that's cool you know i've done my job how would you how would you describe your relationship with with pursuing perfection by your own standards in the past? And how has that destination in terms of growth, how has that changed the way you approach making art and music today? Uh it's a real ailment of mine that I'm I try so hard to make things very a very specific way that what what actually happens in reality is that opportunities come and go in the meantime. So while I'm hyper-focused on something, trying to get it just right, you know, label deals, galleries, uh, 
promoters, produce, well, you know, people come and go. They're getting on with their lives and opportunities um, don't necessarily come around again. On this, it's a blessing because Lex have, have kind of been there the whole time and been very patient with me. But that the perfectionism thing is something I'm really trying to um, let go of more so more progress rather than perfection because it never will be perfect there's things on the album that I almost like I'll try so hard to get it perfect and then at the last minute I'll just leave a couple of mistakes in on purpose just to kind of just let it happen you know because they're not things that anyone else will notice but I know that I've put way too much time in already so I need to just let a couple of things go and even if that makes me slightly uncomfortable at the time, um, I'm okay with it, you know. There's always going to be a typo on the album sleeve. There's always going to be a slight <laughs> thing in the mix. And right. I'm okay with that. And that's fine, yeah. But those mistakes you speak of, those are mistakes to essentially amplify your growth, right? Hmm. It's trying to learn from it, isn't it? So you're making different mistakes next time around rather than making the same mistakes over and over. And I think that's something that I I did for a long time. I just kept doing the same things over and over. And that's that's just madness because you're not going to get a different end result. So as I get older, um, yeah, I'm just learning that. And people were saying that to me back then. It's like, yeah, maybe you do that on the next album. Maybe do that next show, whatever. But I, I wanted it to be just right. Um, but also I think that's all the perfectionism thing is also a form of self-sabotage, isn't it, ultimately? Because you, you don't have to stand behind anything while you're working on it. When it's finished, you have to let go of it. And I think the fear of failure or even the fear of success sometimes can just keep you in that zone of, well, I'll just, I'll just keep doing a bit more, I'll keep chipping away. But actually, it's, it's the balance of somewhere between getting it right and getting it done. You know, that's, that's what I've yeah. learned over the years. Um, but I've, you know, I've done some really horrific exhibitions. <laughs> they were just complete <laughs> shambles. And, and in a way it's the best thing that could happen. Cause you go, that's what it looks like at its worst. It's, you know, it's shit. It's really shit. <laughs> Everything's late you know the room smells of wet paint it's just a fucking disaster but you know other people get on their lives it's only you that um is really bothered by it and then equally this sort of the moments of mastery i think it's about maybe not setting yourself up for a fall so thinking i can make 10 songs with three guests that i I've got a you know a good rapport with is more achievable than trying to make a double album with like 50 people I've never met before you know what I mean so it's, it's picking your uh, parameters and setting yourself goals within that um, so yeah I don't know a lot of learning has gone in into this album um, I can hear it I can hear it yeah, okay, it goes cool. it also goes back to what we were saying earlier about the past and being anxious about that and being haunted, well, haunted rather by the past and anxious about the future, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, that's mental illness, isn't it, in a nutshell? That's just, <laughs> you know. 
There it is. There it is. Amigos get crushed Why? Just because I'm at the back of the bus I'm rocking phone crusher plus Now every rapper in the house Shut the fuck up Meanwhile Thin walls got bum rush Cash me in the club Yelling turn the strobe up Sure enough Them will fight and fuss That old basic stuff While we take the cup Like Boy bruv I raise it up Tear the roof off I cut the super food From the juice shop No soup for you Ooh, You made a bookie move This is payback Like Lucy Lou You put two and two together, now you got five I was in the right place at the wrong time I'm on your block, boy, throwing up the stop sign I just told Billy Jean the kid is not mine I get bare offers, I'm a sharecropper All day you tell my youngest, he who dares riders I took the shot around the fabric, smoking on a hamlet What was it about working with Lex that made the process of releasing this body of work so enjoyable? Because you have talked about this freedom that Lex have brought you in the past. I've read posts on Instagram and I've heard you talk highly about them in this conversation. What is it about Lex that works for you and particularly did this, this, this project? Well, I think for a long time, I just felt like an outsider, you know, like an anomaly in the kind of UK rap scene. I didn't really know where to fit in. So in the past, like I said before, like maybe hide behind humor and self-deprecation and we are, oh, well, if I'm just pretending I'm not really taking it that seriously, then no one can kind of come at me. But then when I, you hear other people doing that, you're like, hmm, it's not really that enjoyable to listen to this. They sound like they're having fun, but it's not necessarily that welcome from all the listeners. So I learned that that wasn't the right approach um but i think it was just realizing that okay so maybe i'm on the outside of the scene in some respects in the uk i'm working with an american producer and i'm working with a label that has not really got any uk mcs on but that like embrace that freedom you know what mm. i mean like this is unique to me there's no one else in the country's having this experience so how about enjoy it and so that was the lesson to myself because if I was on a kind of a more UK rap label, I, I don't know how I would, I'd just be comparing myself to everyone all the time. I might initially enjoy that kind of, um, you know, the camaraderie of being around other people doing their thing, but ultimately they're doing their thing. I listened to that, the Lee Scott episode you did, and he was like, he's like, it's not we're not waiting to take it in turns you know what I mean it's like he's doing his thing but I think I did that for so long I just like almost like waiting in the wings till someone's like oh you can you can have a go now and no one is ever going to do that <laughs> so it was like here's your opportunity Lex is the label you know I've known Tom for since before he even started the label because he used to run a night in Sheffield called Dropping Science I did artwork for him I support right. the artists he put on. He also used to work at Warp and I did artwork at Warp. So that's how we became friends. So it was like, 
Tom's believed in me for 20 years. You know, how about I just have some conviction myself? You know what I mean? I think had this album dropped on another label, it could have easily ran the risk that this would have just not be heard. You know, this would this would have just been, you know, a, a album in the um, endless pool of other releases. And there would be that lack of, of, of visibility. I think with Lex, it's giving you not just this visibility, but it's completely elevated your presence. Yeah, 100%. It's, it's a blessing, man, just to have that, that stamp of approval on the back, have the logo on the back, because you look at their roster. And it's incredible. incredible. Yeah, absolutely incredible. So to be on that label, it's, you know, it, it's the difference between getting airplay or not. And I know that from the past couple of albums, it's like certain DJs, you know, on Six Music or whatever, they get given a hand, handed a copy of the album and they're like, oh shit, it's on Lex. I'll listen to it then. But if it was on another, they probably already have preconceived ideas of what that might sound like from someone like me at this stage in their career. So it's good that it kind of, it might get people's attention more. You know what I mean? Definitely. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it. Like I say, I'm working on more stuff, but if this one ends up being the one that stands the test of time more than anything either side, then I'm good with that too. Going back for a second, what was it that first turned you onto the potentiality of combining illustration and rapping as a career path for you. Where, where does it start and how does it start for you? Who was it that turned you onto that, you yeah. know, idea that you can combine the two? As a teenager, so when I was really young, I started painting graffiti when I was 12, but from 12 to kind of 14, 15, I was just trying to do graffiti, like other people's graffiti. And then like when I was 15, Again, this was the epiphany on acid. I used to take acid quite a bit when I was a teenager. I had that one bad experience, but other ones were not as bad. And I just, I kind of realized that I was just chasing my own tail, trying to do it the same as other people. And I kind of lent back into my illustration. Well, it wasn't even illustration, then drawings, just the drawings I did as a kid, the drawings my brother did when we were kids the simplicity of those drawings uh, and the facial expressions. And I was like, maybe I should just paint graffiti in this style, like my kids' drawings were. And um, maybe that type of artwork on the record sleeves would look cool. You know, it, it's, it couldn't be any more authentic than that. So when I got into making music, which is around the same time, it was always like, what you know, what's the band going to be? What's the record cover going to be? What's the song title going to be? It was all part of that package. And much like this one, you know, I screen printed the sleeves myself. I did the artwork. And I just felt like it needed to be everything together. And I guess it worked because the first records we put out, the first one I put out as Mongrels, um, they found their way into rough trade. Um, DJ Food picked them up on the back of the artwork. Um, he got in contact with me. He put me forward for the scroll book, which was getting published at the time. This is kind of pre street art, but kind of that kind of proto, slightly off key graffiti and 
and uh, illustration work people doing album covers and club flyers and things and it sort of put me in a lane you know it sat out my stall of me being someone that might make diy underground off-key hip-hop but will also hand draw and hand print the sleeves um and then it, it led to my first it led to me having a career basically um so i think it was just that realization that I didn't need to try and copy what other people do. I could do it in my own way and that would be fine. And it, it really did resonate with people uh, as a late teenager and in my early twenties, I felt like I almost couldn't put a foot wrong. You know, I was just getting offered so much stuff, uh, left, right, center, art, music, everything. But then it that became overwhelming in itself. And then I think in the, by my late 20s then I started second guessing it all and then I started trying to separate them and and really I think and I started listening to a lot of other people's opinion oh you should do this you should do that and I wasn't really clear on what I wanted to do myself but if I just stuck to what I was doing as a teenager I probably would have been all right and just had my own kind of uh well established better boundaries really of like well no I want to do it this way because um, and that's again something that's come to me later on in life um, is trying to get back to what I was doing as a teenager what I was passionate about what I was so adamant about but applying that wisdom of what not to do because I've done a lot of what not to do <laughs> throughout my 20s and 30s so coming back to my 40s it's like let's just get back to basics um, yeah so, yeah, I'm not quite sure what compelled me to do it other than I knew growing up in a small market town in the East Midlands, it was kind of a bit stupid trying to do like a very New York style visual or approach to music. It had to just be its own way, which was kind of off key. Who would have been the writer back then that made you actually pay attention to Graph? Because, of course, you... You're seeing Graph prior to that, but who made you actually pay attention to Graph in the beginning? So I'm seeing Graph in in uh, Hip Hop Connection, which you talked you know talked about earlier. There's the two pages in that piece, but this was when I first got into it. It was just before Graphitism came out, so there's no UK magazines search that came out around the same time. You're a bit later. There was fanzines I was checking. Uh, there was a couple of older writers doing stuff, but in the early 90s, there was a period where that first generation in the 80s had kind of given up. They they got into Acid House and other shit. You know, they did it for a bit as teenagers in the 80s, and by the late 80s, they were getting on with their lives. So it was a little bit of a kind of a ghost town in a way, but you could still see some of those pieces from two or three years earlier. Um Someone who lived not far away was Solo One, so he made, really made me pay attention to painting on a large scale relentlessly. And he took me to Birmingham to Selly Oak, where they had these like annual graffiti jams. So when I'm 14, 15, I'm meeting writers from all across the country and all over the world, and everyone had a very different way of doing it. So that crew like iconoclast um which was like part two and system and stormy and and those kind of people they they kind of really made me 
pay attention. Um, and then there was another jam, I think I was 17, went to Milton Keynes, and that was with Futura, Motu, wow. Delta. I mean, you name it, they were all there. So, of course, everyone's handing out peace books. <laughs> and I'd already, by the time well, I was 15, I was like, well, you know, you can't really bite other people's stuff. Or, like, if you're trying to copy other writers, well, they're going to see it at some point. Or at least if you want to be good at it, you know, you want people to see it. So then someone's going to see it. Um, so, yeah, kind of showing well, drawing with Futura in my book when I'm 17 and him kind of complimenting me on my style was, you know, that made a big difference. Um, that gave me a lot of confidence because I wasn't necessarily hearing that at art college or at uni, but, um, you know, whatever those tutors might have told me, I'm like, well, <laughs> I just met Futura and he said the opposite. So... I know I'm listening to, you know what I mean? And um completely validates uh, you. What's that? Completely validates you. Yeah, absolutely. And Futura back then, you know, mid to late nineties, obviously there was the, that was the Mo Wax era. And that was just so it was just a game changer, wasn't it? You know, all that imagery and design. And I think I really took it for granted at the time, but I I know it had a, a huge impact on me. And going to the Saatchi to be on the street show this time last year and Incredible. kind of seeing all, a lot of that stuff. I was like, yeah, this really, these people changed my life. You know what I mean? It's, it's incredible. But I I think later on, maybe I, again, I took that for granted, became kind of complacent, maybe turned my back on the scene or the culture at times. Cause I'm thinking, oh, you know, that's just not that important. I should do some illustration work or some other things. But again, coming back to it, later on I'm like this stuff is hugely important to me you know it's I wouldn't be who I was without it so um I'm not quite sure why I, I kind of thought otherwise at certain points in my life but um yeah you know gone off topic a bit but yeah Futura probably biggest biggest influence but um in terms of doing your obviously I'm not trying to do work like Futura, but he um, he showed what was possible that you could mm. just be yourself, and that was okay, and not worry too much about things being graffiti. Because I think you know, I really only did graffiti probably up until the age of doing my GCSEs. You know, after that, I still paint pieces and and stuff, but definitely lent more into like illustration and and wheat paste and screen printing and other things. And I'm okay with that too. You know what I mean? It's like, I was, I don't think I was ever destined to be a hardcore graffiti writer. And throughout your life, you meet people, you know, that you would not expect to have been former graffiti writers, but they are, you know, and they, then they went into other areas of creativity. That's like art or design or whatever, you know, that's fine too. What kind of impact did Kid Panama have on you? Mm. Well, the name, Kid Acme. So, yeah, it was, um, it's a page in Style Wars. There's two two of the flying eyeballs. Uh, one was painted by scene and one Kid Panama. 
And um, I just kind of, because I was writing Edna as a teenager and then I wanted another name as well. So I came up with Acne because Acne was similar letters to Edna, but kind of flipped around. Uh, well, acne doesn't really sound much like a name, like Edna is obviously a name and, and Acne is just a word. So I put kid in front of it to make it sound a bit more hip hop. So it was like a lean towards, you know, like New York graffiti, but being kid acne obviously was the self-deprecating spotty teenager. So that was my approach. But the I can't even remember what kid acne was meant for, whether it was meant more as like illustration or MCing, but it wasn't really meant for everything. A lot of people knew me as Edna. So in the first exhibitions and projects I did, it was like Edna and then it might be in brackets, kid acne or something. And then, I don't know, just over time it became Kid Acne. But I do remember, again, Tom at Lex, him saying, well, you know, maybe we should put these records out as Edna. Um, that was like 20 years ago. But, yeah, Edna's just more like what my friends call me if they know me from that era. And and Kid Acne is more like my pseudonym for, for doing art. You know what I mean? <laughs> So, yeah, honestly, it was like going to graph when I was 12, did some graffiti till I was like 15, took acid, and then just was like, right, now <laughs> I'm going to do what I really want to do. <laughs> and I was more inspired by skateboard graphics, underground right. fanzines, comic. It all just happened at the same time. Amazing. Like, that's when Edna came about. Kid Acne came like a year or so later. Fanzines, records, being in bands. It was just all the same. There was no, it wasn't one thing came to the next. And even like my first exhibitions where I was like 16, that was Graffiti Bastards. That was in Birmingham. And that was off the back of those older writers I met in Birmingham. So ah. I was the younger one there, but, you know, I'd screen printed kind of comic looking stuff on um tissue paper and collaged it onto canvas and i was designing club flyers and so yeah it just it all happened at once um and again yeah the the only really re regrets was like not sticking with it because i felt like with velcro grass and zebra face i got so much out of it i enjoyed doing it but it also got me a lot of attention as well and then i just sort of felt i'd done that i was like oh well i've done that now i'll do try something else but I, I wish there was some more kind of consistency. 
throughout my career because there's I've done lots of different things over the years, but ultimately they're all kind of like drops in the ocean. It's it's only when they're it's put together as a body of work that it makes more sense. So um leaving comics and fanzines behind is something again that I'd like to pick up and um do more of because I really enjoyed doing that and that that process is what kind of led to the the characters that are in my street art but I, I kind of left the narrative behind you know what I mean so something I probably will revisit at some point but yeah it, it was not one thing came and then the next it happened all at the same time being like 15 16 17 just deciding to to just be myself and do my thing, you know? If you are still listening to this episode and enjoying the podcast, why not become a patron of Fly Fidelity at patreon.com slash flyfidelity. Becoming a patron means you are directly supporting our show and helping us to create a new episode each and every week. It also means that as a thank you for being a super supporter, you'll be able to access exclusive content to you, including patron updates, offers and discounts, a monthly secret podcast, early access, and so much more. My first fanzine I did got reviewed in Hip Hop Connection because I had this How Hip Hop Is Your Chip Shop thing in the centre pages. And then they kind of copied the idea and started running with that. Um, there was a review of another fanzine, ID Crisis, that was by Parlor Talk and Undivided Attention. So then my my friend who I wrote Zebraface with, he went to uni in Bristol. So then we went and hooked up with Parlor Talk and um, that was just before they got their deal. I remember seeing them at a gig at uh, the Blue Note. You know, they're, and they're, again, they're f- amazing. Just so underrated but so ahead of their time um scout leader deed was fucking an amazing mc um yeah it opened a lot of things for me because before street art there was people who did graffiti and people who did hip-hop but they knew that it didn't quite tick all the boxes for them so off the back of like hip-hop connection and you know like trade because i made graffiti fanzines before i made my kind of more comic based stuff you'd be swapping photos with people because like i say it's before the magazines come out then i might get something in the post from Gasface or pinky or eco or you know these these people that were sort of in the same kind of ballpark that it was definitely graffiti and hip-hop but it was their own take on it and it was inspired by chunky comics and graphics and and going back to the Kid Panama thing, those flying eyeballs, what I didn't realise at the time was they came from a Rick Griffin comic strip that was in Zap comics in the 60s. And then Rick Griffin obviously did the album sleeves for the Grateful Dead, and then he's inspired by Egyptology and all this stuff. So that was through trading letters with Gasface, actually, that he he found the original Rick Griffin comic strip. And he's like, yeah, this is where those eyeballs come from. And... So, yeah, it's like sampling. You just find the the earlier, you find different genres 
through it. So I feel like with hip hop, you're finding new music when you discover the original breaks and samples and with graffiti, maybe finding comics and other counterculture in what the inspiration was, again, music, because a lot of those New York writers, they were listening to like Black Sabbath and things like that. It wasn't, it wasn't all hip hop through and through. And I kind of embraced that because my friends who I was in bands with, they were all into Sabbath and other stuff. You know, they, the only hip hop my friends really knew about would have been like NWA and Ice-T. That was about it. Um, so then I, you find the common ground of what stuff I like, what stuff they like, and gives you your own perspective on things. What is it that sticks out most to you about those glory years, you know, defining your own style? And if you could go back then, give yourself one piece of advice from now, what would that be? I would have told myself to keep going because I feel I was on the right path back then. And like I say, there was a point where I couldn't put a foot wrong. It was just people seemed to like it. They gravitated towards it. So these first comics I did then became a book. I did Club Flyer. Anytime I did a Club Flyer, I'd get like Flyer of the Month in DJ Magazine or whatever. The comics then found their way into the style mags, face and ID and all this stuff. And a lot of attention came my way, but I didn't really want that attention. I just wanted to be in my own world with me and my friends making music and doing stuff. But then um, I feel like you can kind of make yourself too small to fit in. And maybe I didn't necessarily need to make myself too small. I could have just kept going. And and like what I talked about before with Lex, I what you can't perceive is that you will still have that support 20, 30 years later. You know what I mean? So I think there was there was definitely moments of being like a magpie getting very much distracted by whatever the latest attention was from someone, whether that was record deals or magazines or people who want to be management or collaborations with brands or whatever. But um, what that meant was that ultimately I spent a lot of time doing a lot of things that I maybe I just didn't know how to say no to. Um, but then didn't, didn't necessarily meet my needs either. Um, so maybe, yeah, just being a bit stricter of sticking to my guns, I suppose. That's the advice I would, I would give my younger self. But the upshot of it is I know from experience now things that I don't want to do. And so that's not at the back of my mind of, oh, well, what if I did, you know, what could have been if I'd done that, or if I'd done that? Um, the only down the sort of the downside to it is that I let a lot of my own self-directed projects kind of lay dormant for a long time. And like I say, I was almost like just waiting for someone to say, yeah, you can do it now. And it's like, you just have to grant yourself that permission to do it. So um, whilst it might not look like that to the outside world, like, you know, I've had, been fortunate to have a career this whole time but it's been far rockier and less enjoyable at moments than I would have liked to, to have been and actually what's always led to a positive outcome is be, is sticking to my guns and doing my own thing you know what's not necessarily led to positive outcome is diluting what I do 
to collaborate with certain people to you know whether that's for financial gain or kudos or whatever it's like ultimately it doesn't really equate to you know you, the money gets spent the images sit on a hard drive <laughs> it's like no one really cares you know so whereas maybe not being on album number six but album number 12 or 15 or something that that might be a more exciting prospect because like in the beginning it was all together and it was all one thing and then bit by bit I started kind of separating them and diluting it I think you know doing myself a disservice and and now I feel I'm coming back to what I originally thought in the first place you know Absolutely. Do you ever think about what could have been had Invisible Spies continued? Yeah, man. It, like, Invisible Spies was, so that was like the crew. It was like the non-graffiti, non-hip-hop crew. That, again, started around the exact same time, mid-90s. Um, and then that became the name of our record label because we were putting out our own albums. And sort of individually and collectively, we all got offered a handful of album deals. So it was almost like dead in the water before I even got going. And the only reason I stored the Lex thing was like, I literally just set up my own label. <laughs> I want to put out some of my own records. Um, we did sort of have this vision of it being like a kind of a non-hip-hop Wu-Tang where there was this core group in the middle called Toa Dynamic, which again got offered opportunities in its own right it was a very ramshackle non-genre specific recording collective um and then the idea would be that we do solo projects off of toa dynamic but we come back but we did two albums which got good traction actually and they sold they sold well abroad we sold a lot in germany and japan and america uh, we've got rave reviews but we just like imploded it on itself. Rather than do a third album, we were just all like squabbling over how we should and how we shouldn't do it and put out a couple of EPs on the same day, which was just <laughs> a really or kind of deliberately on purpose, a bad idea. And really that could have informed a third album. Um, but this was all running out of the flat that I lived in with my friend Will, who I talked about earlier. He wrote Zebra Face and after he finished uni and I finished uni, he came back to Sheffield out of spare room. He lived with my brother for a while in London. And because I was a couple of years younger than everyone, I was at uni the long, you know, the last. So while everyone was kind of kicking about thing, figuring out what to do after university, I was sort of still there. So people were kind of gravitating towards me and Sheffield on weekends and in holidays. And I had a spare room in the flat, so Will moved in, and then we set up the recording studio in the spare room. And we actually lived like that for five years, and we made a lot of music. Uh, he did his Supreme Vagabond Craftsman project, which got the attention of Badly Drawn Boy and Twisted Nerve, and they went on tour together. He got offered deals through that. XL Recordings were interested in us. Compact were interested in us. Pelican Neck helped distribute it. That was before they became Boomcat. Um, but out of all of all of it, and then Alex, who is Earl Shilton, he did the black metal albums. He's gone on to play drums for everyone from Fortet to Uncle to Square Pusher. Um, my brother is Chips for the Poor. He's 
done a ton of stuff himself over the years, um, supporting Sleaford Mods and people like this, but nice. none of us wanted to be a label manager. So it was like, yeah, we could do this thing and it could be great, but ultimately we didn't really, no one wanted to be sat in the office doing the admin. So that's, we just had to kind of accept that maybe this is not going to become anything more than sporadically putting records out, you know, and, and that is ultimately what's happened. So rather than it becoming something big, because also there was other bands in Sheffield at the time that I was quite interested in, like the Long Blondes and Pink Grease, and they recorded their first records in our flat. I was like, we should put them on the label. And then they got offered their own deals and, and everything. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to run a label. Um, I just wanted to make music and hang out with my friends. So of course. Yeah, yeah, it, it could have been something, but in a way, I think it's okay the way it, it turned out because um by and large the friendships are intact. We we know that none of us really ultimately wanted to do that. There was some support from Damien Harris at Skin, he helped finance my first couple of albums and he helped put some money into Invisible Spies um, with the idea of it becoming <laughs> a label. So other than the kind of the fact that Damien lost some money on our vanity projects, I think he's okay with that. You know, he was making fat bots of money at the time, so I think he was okay with that. Um but yeah, me and my brother and Will, we do occasionally put things out on Invisible Spies if it just feels like the right thing to do. And I and I still might do that. Yeah, you know, the, the Lex thing's great. But if I record material that isn't right for Lex, I'll put it out myself on Invisible Spies, and that's fine too. Has everybody been given the mantra that we're going to use today? Good. Okay, that's great. Any goals? Whole life need an overhaul. Juice paid, now I'm overdrawn. Whole life need an overhaul Juice paid, now I'm overdrawn, yo Stand tall on the shoulders of Nephilim Laser length mask with the Mexican wrestling Latchkey specialist, Dragon 32 bar social experiment Adventurous, slightly adventurous Had a little fame but the Z-list treacherous Now he's living vicarious Watch documentaries and sign on benefits while battling the multiverse Should have had a bad saying I was here first You got it bad, my man's got it worse Done it on his own terms Gave them all a wide berth What? Infinite earths then Infinite me's rock Infinite rhymes right Infinite beats I wish I could show my appreciation for this podcast. I wish I could respond to it somehow or be notified in the future when Fly Fidelity updates because it's so great. But I don't think there's a way I can do any of those things. Uh-oh. You're wrong. <laughs> Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud and never miss an episode. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. My people thought you whipped me where you were.